You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome to Real Vision. It's Friday, October 2nd, 2020, just after market close in New York. This is the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington, joined shortly by our CEO and co-founder, Raul Powell. But first, with the day's stories, Jack Farley. Thanks, Ash. Let's get right into it with what everyone is talking about, the outbreak in the White House. The news that President Donald Trump tested positive for COVID-19 caused U.S. equities to puke almost immediately right after midnight, but they paired their losses throughout the early morning, and by dawn, it was evident that news of the infection alarmed citizens and journalists more than it did investors and traders. As I'm recording this now, the Nasdaq is down 1.6%, and with the S&P posting small losses as the Dow actually flirts with being up on the day, Treasuries sold off somewhat, and action in the corporate bond market was unremarkable. Oil seemed to be one flashpoint of volatility, with WTI down over 4.5%. Volatility itself increased, with the VIX increasing half a point to 27.2, and the VIX futures curve rising around all expiries. The lack of panic in the markets may be due to the president's illness actually breathing new life into stimulus talks. The latest proposal passed yesterday in the House with no Republican support whatsoever, Hardly inspiring, but the idea is that Trump's testing positive for COVID-19 will actually bring the two parties together, increasing the odds that something gets passed. This belief, first expressed by Speaker Pelosi, is quickly making its rounds on Wall Street and has already found its way into more than a few sell-side research reports. In other news, thankfully, Vice President Pence has tested negative, as have Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden and Vice Presidential nominee Kamala Harris. With that, let's kick it over to the analysis of Pal and Bennington. That's senior editor Ash Bennington and Real Vision CEO Rao Pal. Ash, take it away. Rao, welcome back. It's always good to be here, and especially after the adrenaline pumping intro. I, I miss it. I wasn't here last week, and I missed it. <laughs> uh, always try and up the adrenaline level. <laughs> so, Rao, uh, I don't really know where to start today. A lot going on. What are you looking at? So I think first, if I go back, because I wasn't here last week and I was writing Global Macro Investor, so I need a bit of headspace when I do that. One of the key things that I looked at that I've been talking kind of incrementally over since I started speaking with Ed, it was like a month ago, and then with you talking about, hey, listen, I think we're in a topping pattern. I think there's something material going on, and I think growth is slowing again. So if I think about that narrative in the last two weeks, where have we got to? Well, the markets have topped. Is it a meaningful top? We don't know yet. When I look for a top, I'm starting to look for what I call the GMI crash pattern that we've talked about before, where the market falls sharply, retraces, let's say, 50% of the move, and then gradually rolls over and takes out that low. So we've had, it looks like we might be building that kind of pattern in the NASDAQ and the S&P. The NASDAQ also could be forming a head and shoulders top. And if we break something like 10,700, you know, we've got a chance of downside to 9,000. So there could be something really going on here. And I think one of the key features of of the last two weeks have been, again, I keep mentioning it, the weakness in the banks. The yeah. European banks got smoked again. Um, you know, the uh, the European banks, including the UK and Switzerland, hit all-time lows 
you know, taking out the 1986, I think Roger talked about this in the past as well. That's telling you something. Some of these heavily indebted triple B companies have not been trading well. And then in the last week, the next leg of this narrative that I've got going was the oil just demand collapsed. Yeah. Now, we know supply is being reduced in oil over time, and that's how commodity cycles build. But we've got no demand. And part of that is, is people really need to understand and focus what's going on in Europe. There's a lot of noise in the US from elections and other stuff. Yeah. Europe is going into restrictive economies again. Regionalized lockdowns, local lockdowns, changes to overall behavior patterns. This is a concerning point for Europe where you're going to lower growth. It is just a factor of human behavior. It's not to do with you know countrywide lockdowns. Even if that didn't happen, my mother is in Spain. She's 78 years old. Spain has a huge flare-up of COVID going on. She's prime risk, so she's not going to go anywhere or spend anything, and nor are any of her friends. Just remember, the people who are most at risk are the baby boomers, of which there's something like 150 million of those between the US, Europe, and a few other countries, Canada, Australia. They're the richest group of people in the world and they're having to restrict themselves. So if you don't think that has an economic impact, you're not understanding what's really going on here. Yeah. So even people have suggested the UK, there was talk about restricting, you know, locking up people who are over the age of 45. A, I'm 52, and that feels like you're, think, you're, you're turning me into a baby boomer. But I think I, we're both on that list, Ralph. Yeah. So I'm like, really? But anyway... I'm kind of locked up myself anyway, because my behavior patterns changed. But if you do that, that's 300 million people who are the peak spenders. So who is going to do that? The broadcast millennial? There is no outcome here that is not negative for the economy. And if you followed the vaccine stories as well, sure, it's going to come. But in what format? How much? When? What efficacy rate? We have no idea. So we're living with this thing longer. Growth is not picking up. Structural unemployment in the US and elsewhere is rising. Spain is up to 43% youth unemployment again. We have a really big long-term problem. And people thought and hoped it was a short-term problem, which is why I called it the hope phase. And I did the whole piece, the expert view on this. I I think everything is changing. And I think that narrative is going to go away for a period of time. So I think people really need to focus on these things. We also saw things like copper rolling over. There's a bunch of other things. The dollar stabilized. There's lots of leads. As I said before, we'd expect to see bond yields fall further. That hasn't happened yet. Bonds stayed flat. So bonds made the bet a long time ago. I always say bonds are the truth. Everyone goes, what do you mean? It's like bonds read the economy better than anybody else. You don't need a single economist. In fact, you can lock them all in a room. Just look what the bond market does. It tells you where the economy is going. It tells you the economy is not recovering. That's it. And it's not to do with the Fed intervening. They're not buying bonds. The bond market is telling you the truth, which is the, the economy is not going to pick up yet. So everything else is now playing catch up to the bond market. That is so often the case. Yeah. 
So that's that's what I think. Big picture, there's a lot going on, but it's all one narrative: the slowing of growth. Yeah. Talking of which, non-farm payrolls out today showing deceleration uh, in the employment market in the rate at which jobs were being replaced, slowing down. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, I mean, look, you can see it on a concerningly and miserably across the whole world, small to medium sized enterprises, which are the backbone of any GDP, any economy. It's not all about Google and stuff like that. It's actually about restaurants and bars and dry cleaners and all of the stuff that keeps people employed. Yeah. I mean, there is a shocking, shocking loss of business. I just saw a number today. They think there's 170,000 restaurants in New York going to not reopen. I mean, I can't even get my head around this. And anybody thinks that this is a V-shaped recovery, normality, doesn't understand. We have to go through a full turnover. These places aren't going to reopen again. What happens to those people's businesses? Now, in the end, I strongly believe that what you're doing is you're going to offer opportunity to younger people or others who want to build businesses. And I think that's a great opportunity. Cities like New York will be full of less chino-wearing investment bankers with the identical kind of um, sleeveless vests. They've all moved out to the suburbs. Rents are going to be cheaper, particularly uh, commercial real estate rents. So the ability to open bars, restaurants, cool clothing shops, antique record stores, whatever it is that was not, had no margin in the old pricing structure changes. And that gives a vibrancy back to cities because it brings art and culture back because they just got wiped out. I mean, Midtown Manhattan is a ghost town of miserable chinos or khakis, as you would call them in the US. And it's just, you know, it, everybody became identical people. And that changes again. And it brings back vibrancy so it is always the creative destruction cycle but it's terrible to go through because people's life lifelines and lifetime businesses have been destroyed yeah i was actually out Ral, on wednesday night a big day here in new york 25 percent capacity indoor dining uh in new york city uh, for the first time since the beginning of the covid lockdown uh and uh you know people were out en masse there's a a huge demand, I think, to be around other people. Uh, but look, the reality, as we learned last night, uh, with uh, perhaps the, the Trump diagnosis, uh, Hope Hicks, some senior members of the White House team, uh, and potentially, uh, potentially a super spreader event around some of the recent uh, uh, gatherings at the highest levels of the federal government, the COVID crisis is still very much a factor. It is. And again, I'm not interested in anybody's view about the politics behind COVID. It is a virus. It spreads. It causes people to be risk averse or governments force the risk aversion. Sweden, for example, many people don't understand. Sweden didn't have the same lockdown measures, but people were equally risk averse and the economy took equally a bigger hit. So this is what a pandemic does. We can blame anybody but the virus is a problem and it's ongoing and it is random. Now, let's hope that, that 
Trump doesn't fall very ill. I mean, Boris Johnson was on a ventilator. I mean, he was yeah. really ill. Um, and, you know, Trump is right in the danger zone in terms of all of his kind of factors yeah. that would, would cause a problem. He's right high up there with, a, you know, a high probability of death. Now, obviously, he has the best medical care in the world around him and another stuff. And, you know, nobody wishes that on anybody, but it just shows that the virus takes no prisoners. And yeah. it, yes, I understand the death rate is not that high right now. And that's great. But I don't want my mum to die. And I don't want the president to die. I mean, it's, that's why we have a responsibility in my yeah. mind. Yeah, very much. You know, it's interesting. I said, as we rediscovered last night, uh, but the reality is intellectually, we've known this for a very long time. We know the trajectory of this. We've been following the figures here uh, and elsewhere on Real Vision. I'm curious, Raul, if you think uh, that point that you were just talking about, the, the animal spirits effect, the psychological impact of something like this may cause an additional pullback uh, from people who just don't want to be out there consuming uh, producing. Well, they look, just want look, so we were just speaking to Nick, Nick, who's editing this and producing this right now. And Nick's like, I said, what, what are you doing over the weekend, Nick? And he said, oh, my wife wants me to go into the city with the mm. kids. And he's like, I'm not sure I want to do it. Yeah. Right. Nick's younger than you and me. Mm -hmm. And yet he has that fear. Now, is that fear irrational, rational? It's irrelevant. But it's the human behavior. That's the bit I've always been interested in. Is you don't, I, I'm not interested in anybody's opinion. You shouldn't be interested in my opinion about COVID, masks, everything else, right? Do your own homework, make your own conclusions. But the economic effect is real, regardless. Because absolutely. of human behavior. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, lots of outstanding questions about exactly that uh, right now. Talking of questions, Raoul. We have an exciting announcement about the exchange today. Next week, we're kicking off our first live guest Q&A in the exchange. Uh, yeah, so uh, look, uh, part of the exchange, you know, uh, as everybody knows, it's work in progress. It's getting better. There's a lot of people on it now. Lots of great posts and questions and interactions, and the whole Real Vision team are on there as well. The idea here is to add more value for essential members and give them a chance to interact with some of the rock stars of Real Vision. Right. So uh, what's coming up? What have we got coming up this week? Yeah, so first week we've got Ted Seides of the Capital Allocators podcast, bond expert George Goncalves of Macro Hive, and investment strategies Lynn Alden, a Real Vision favorite. So there you'll be able to ask your own questions, get involved with them, chat to them online in the exchange. This is, you'll start to see where the value of this exchange is going. It's where all of us can meet and do stuff. It's super cool. I mean, again, the videos people posted, I asked people to post how I use Real Vision videos, expecting to get 10. We got 200 videos from our incredible members from all over the world, from astrophysicists in the Atacama Desert to neuroscientists in South Korea to cab drivers. Unbelievable. And they yeah. all... The journey of learning that Real Vision gives them. But enough about Real Vision because we always talk about it too much because we're all excited about it. But anyway, yeah. yeah, exchange next week is going to become a bigger part of your lives. You'll start to use that a lot more and you'll see. I mean, we're already testing out a, um, a, um, a daily show within it, which some of the team, um, Jack and Haley and Max put together. 
which is just a uh, kind of a wrap about some of the content of the week. Yeah. Um, so it's a weekly show. You know, we're just testing some ideas out. I think people like that already. You've been testing stuff out, different video contents. There's a lot of content going on to that that's not on the platform. Yeah, and much more to come. Uh, to which I would only add submissions for your questions for next week's Q&A now officially open. Yeah, just look for the exchange channels for um, George, for um, Ted, and for Lynn. They're all there, so you can start posting questions. Yeah. Raul, on the crypto side, uh, a bit of news yesterday. Yeah, fascinating, right? So, you know, um, BitMEX, which is one of the early kind of frontier pioneers of derivatives in the in the crypto space, um, they got you know, the U.S. government's basically come after them in various sources, and the four co-founders have been arrested or they're seeking arrest. Yeah. Um, Really what this is all about is these guys were some of the early pioneers of the crypto industry. And that's when there was no KYC because nobody sends them money. You only can send them Bitcoin, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a whole use of funds. Now, the U.S. rightly is closing down on the whole industry. It's saying, right, we don't mind crypto. We don't mind a derivative industry around it. We don't mind any of it. But KYC, know your clients. You need to be regulated. And then it's okay. So, you know, because BitMEX operated out of Hong Kong, they're a Seychelles-based company, uh, et cetera, but many of the co-founders were uh, Americans, yeah. they wanted to do something about it. How this, And what's interesting is, is if we saw this in the past, normally Bitcoin would be down 20%, right? barely bunched. So that tells you something. My particular view on it is, and I don't know, I have no insider, even though I know Arthur, um, you know, I've never met him personally, but, you know, we chat from time to time, is that the U.S. is going to make an example of them. My guess is they already knew about this coming. Well, they did know about it coming because there's been, this has been going on for a year. Um, and I think it'll be a, a big risk slapping, huge fine, clean your app, act up, which I, I believe BitMEX are already doing, yeah. you know, launching a new entity. And then they will be free to operate in the United States. And we've seen this before with several of these um, is the U.S. regulators clean up, clean up, clean up, make the big statement is do not fuck around here. You do what we say, we'll let you run a, a business. So I think that's what this is how it's going to play out. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe there's more. There's more that I don't know. You know, because, you know, when they're talking about money laundering and stuff, you know, is there anything complicit and stuff? I very much doubt it, but I, I literally know nothing. But it's very interesting to see the space grow up. And it's being forced to grow up. It's, you know, um, and that's the right thing. That's the right thing. The space has to, to grow up. I know people want it to be the libertarian frontier where nothing matters and nobody can touch you. That's not the world we live in. You know, we live in a world of governments. Bitcoin gives us some freedom, but you still have to operate within. If you're going to cross over into the fiat money system, you are going to end up being controlled by a government in some way, shape, or form. And that's okay. Yeah. Important to add, talking of government, innocent until proven guilty, of course, under our under our system, uh, the government will present its case, and uh, the gentleman from BitMEX will have an opportunity to respond in court. Yeah, and they've already, you know, the lawyers have sent out that that um, that they will be uh, defending it um, vigorously, which I think they will be. So let's wait and see. It's an interesting story. 
but it's actually no big shakes for the industry. I well, here's what's most interesting to me, Raul. Bitcoin right now trading at 10,540 at, at about 4.30 on Friday afternoon. Shockingly little movement in the price. So that tells me something that, you know, there's about 11 billion of Bitcoin dollars worth of Bitcoin on um, BitMEX's balance sheets. Well, it didn't seem like it's been liquidated, does it? It's not like there was a mass panic to get out. I think people are like, yeah, okay, whatever. So it's 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 interesting. It shows me something about the space. Now, can Bitcoin fall further with the equity market because there's a correlation, blah, blah, blah? Yeah. Sure. But it, this didn't cause a crash. That was interesting. Yeah. I believe Bitcoin fell further and faster last night on the announcement of Trump being positive for COVID than it did on the earlier Arthur Hayes announcement. So, <laughs> Whatever that, uh, what, how and why. But that's an interesting, it's a fantastic post. And I, I don't want to go on about the exchange, but... Uh, um, a guy called Weston, who's in Tokyo, an ex-Goldman guy, who's really prolific on the exchange, super smart. Yeah, he did a video post on how to trade, um, how to trade geopolitical or headlines, and he talks through how the professionals do this and how not to fall in the trap. Brilliant! If anybody wants to watch it, you'll get a ton of learning from him about what to do in these situations. Part of his thing is. You need to go through all of the opens and closes of all of the global. So you need to go through the Tokyo open and close, the, the European open and close, the US open and close, and then back to the open to let all the market on close orders and market on open orders clear through. Then you'll see the actual mm. underlying and then also how to approach something which has some politics behind it, which is this Trump headline, and try to become a machine in how you analyze it, you know? This, you know, you need to analyze it without your political lens, which most people always end up putting their own political lens on. It's a yeah. really good, it's a really, really good post. I, I was, I was really impressed. It's like not talking about your children when they've had huge successes, right? With the exchange. That's really where we are at this point. We're doing interesting things there and we're excited and just want to talk about it. Yeah. But uh, I tell you, the exciting stuff is, um, um, I really loved the, uh, Baliazny interview that we've just had on that was at Saturday, um, just because you just don't get anybody like that. And his learning about what was heartbreaking is this guy came from, it's the dream, right? This is the 20 year old guy who gets into finance dream. He hustles to get a job. He can't get a job. He does a bit of trading at, um, high school or whatever. Um, he then hustles his way into, some sales jobs and then manages to get into a trading shop where he's given no salary a payout he he fails for the first year doesn't make any money whatsoever then begins to learn how to do it starts to understand how to trade then starts hiring people then builds a business then eventually builds this mammoth hedge fund giant business that then has the cutting edge technology and risk management systems and execution order systems and information gathering systems that make it almost impossible for the young 20 year old to ever complete the same path again. Because the informational edge that a firm like Baliazny has now. Right. Versus, so it was, it was fascinating in his journey and the fact that he's almost closed the door on that journey for others, but there's always other doors, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and maybe the next journey is going to be on the tech side, on the AI side, integrating somehow with the trading side. Uh, there's always opportunity. That's the great thing about capitalism, creative destruction.
Yeah, and then you've got the whole, you know, crypto and tokenization, and there's not enough people in that space. There's massive amounts of alpha. And the other one, the other interview I do that's coming out next week is I did the Jeff Gunlack interview of which you've never seen before. It's the it's a different side of, of Jeffrey, and it was a really really good interview. And I also asked him about Bitcoin. So I know a lot of people said, "Why didn't you ask Dimitri about Bitcoin?" Well. I asked Jeffrey and we got his response. So it's a, that's a great one. That's a killer interview coming up. Fascinating. Well, let's switch gears here a little bit. I'm curious, uh, coming off, we haven't spoken now for two weeks. What are your thoughts on different sectors? I know you've been watching the energy space quite closely. What are your thoughts there? Obviously, a rough week on energy stocks. I have been structurally bearish energy stocks for two or three years now. Um, with the European energy sector particularly as my focus, I just think that I I think that we're in a secular um, down cycle in energy, and we haven't got to the clearing price yet. I think we've got a secular down cycle in the attractiveness of energy companies as people are moving towards green investment, particularly being led by. Europe, where it's becoming a core part of how people invest now on the institutional side. Um, I think that regulation in the energy markets is coming too, um, in terms of um, not regulation so much is is I think they're going to be tightening up about um, some of the issues that came with potential climate change stuff out of the energy markets. So. You know, we've yeah. seen law, lawsuits coming. I think there's more lawsuits coming. I think in the end, they're going to get fined by governments. Uh, you know, they generate plenty of cash. And in a bad economic environment, there's nothing like finding a new cash machine. You know, they find the banks out of existence. Next, they'll find the energy companies. I'm sure of it. Yeah, it's interesting. It's almost become taboo to be bullish on those uh, hydrocarbon stocks. Well, I don't know, because almost everybody I know is like, oh, I'm a contrarian. I want to buy oil stocks. In fact, I don't know anybody who's short oil stocks. They all like want to buy them. Uh, me, I'm just structurally bearish. So sure, they might bounce. They might bounce 50%. I, just for me, it's just not a sector I'm interested in, because I think it's headwinds. It's all headwinds with you might get a cycl cyclical bounces as you know the shale patch you know reduces its output output around the world reduces, et cetera. But I, I just think the world may have changed. Yeah. I was referring to the sort of the cultural aspect of it. We see it ourselves in the comments when people are bullish on those stocks. Uh, a lot of criticism, especially from European subscribers. Yeah. I mean, it's just, look, it's a very different narrative in the US versus Europe. Yeah. Um, you know, Europe is driven by uh, um, more environmental policies. Not that they're perfect. And whether you like it or not, I'm no interest. That is what it is. That um, they're driven by environmental policies, and the U.S. is not. So that's why you'll see this dichotomy from Europeans um, to U.S. people often. And it's just a it's a function of yeah how, how where governments are in their cycle. Yeah, and obviously that uh, filters into exactly as you said, government policy uh, and potential price impacts. That's right. That's right. You know, it's a. You know, there's a very different thing in the United States. Again, when we talk about energy, is energy is very cheap in America and it's expensive in Europe because Europeans don't produce it, but they tax it. America barely taxes it, but they produce tons of it. So it, everyone has a different relationship with it. It's kind of a necessary evil, but expensive in Europe. And it's like freedom in America. So they sta it stands for two different things. 
Yeah, that's a very interesting point. Uh, Raul, talking of sectors here, NASDAQ off at the end of the day, uh, minus 2.22%, down 251 points to close at 11,075. And the number that caught my eye, uh, XLK, the spider select sector for technology off 2.54% on the day. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, I mean, look, technology, I'm looking at some of the stocks. I mean, Tesla was down 7%, Netflix down 4 They've been volatile, they don't look happy. I don't really know what's driving it, um, but it just feels a bit risk-offy. We saw that SoftBank came in and bought another $200 million worth of calls yesterday um, on Amazon, uh, Google, and a bunch of others. But it just feels this increasing volatility marks is one of the key markers of a top. Right. And I, I, feel, I feel that we're searching for a top. It may never materialize, but it feels that way. You know, it feels a bit... 2000 e yeah way up on the year on all those names yeah everything is is way up but you know on the month they're all down between five and 16 percent so you know that's that's getting a bit racy but again they're, they're very volatile stocks and you know it doesn't help with SoftBank keep buying these rounds of call options because it it creates this short gamma situation in the banks and then they end up having to sell stuff. We talked about it here before. Uh, it just makes it more volatile with this huge bars of calls going on. Yeah. Yeah, it's just an amplification function of what we've already seen. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, if things fall, they fall a bit sharper than they would, which is why the NASDAQ's falling sharper than the S&P. It's because there's so much of this, the dealers are all um, short gamma, which means, again, just to explain to people, short gamma means you've sold options. And therefore, if you've sold call options in this particular case, to hedge yourself as the market falls, you sell more. Um, so that's what they're doing. Yeah. You know, I, someone said to me last night, asked my opinion on what was happening with uh, the the COVID diagnosis for President Trump and its impact on markets. And I and I said, uh, only half kiddingly, the one thing that we know now for certain is that we're seeing a rise in uncertainty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's sure. And again, those of you who are around in 99, 2000, the rise in uncertainty was the telltale sign. It was, I mean, you know, when people think about top patterns, People are probably a little bit fixated with what we just saw in March, where it just collapsed. Did the GMI crash pattern, total collapse. Go back and look at the chart of the S&P 2000, 2001, and realize what excruciating misery a top pattern can look like. I mean, the market fell for the first year of the bear market. The market rose more days than it went down. Hmm. It was like fall, rally, 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 fall, rally, 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 fall, but not in a sharp trend. It was like this. I mean, horrific, yeah. horrific, which is why, you know, I'm not a big fan until you break some of these key things like GMI crash patterns or head and shoulders tops where you might get some acceleration. You have to be really careful in trying to pick market tops because that, that can be ugly as hell. Yeah. So, Raul, amid all the news flow among all the market activity, what are you going to be looking at uh, in the week ahead? 
Again, I'm still focused on the same things. I'm looking at the things that are giving me a lead on growth because my hypothesis remains that we're going into the insolvency phase and that is driven by GDP growth not recovering. I see that in the high-frequency data. I see it in the bank stocks. I see it in the oil price. I see it around that, look, this doesn't look right. Now, potentially, we get a stimulus in the U.S., we're not going to get one in Europe. Europe's got a big problem on its hands, a big problem. Wouldn't surprise me if the euro doesn't sharply fall back down to 115 and lower in the next few weeks, just because Europe has no stimulus, big deflation, the lowest core inflation number in history. And I think people realize that in the ECB, all they care about is inflation. That's their only mandate, not employment right. and inflation, just inflation. So the ECB are going to have to do something soon. There is no stimulus at fiscal level because all the governments have just shot their load already and done one, one go. They have to do it again somehow, and they don't have the money to do it. So what the ECB are going to have to do something. The narrative around Europe's recovering because they dealt with COVID better has been taken out and shot. Absolutely. Because they reopened over the summer, and guess what? It's all come back. Yeah. And again, may not be killing people. It's early days to know how that's going to do, but we know that the treatments are better, blah, 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 blah. The point being, affects human behavior. Growth is going to slow in Europe, period. Yeah. And so the euro looks like it's probably a bit of a short. Yeah, and I suspect here in the U.S. as well for animal spirits effects. You know, the trajectory of the talks right now around stimulus here in the U.S. Uh, also very much uh, uncertain, more sort of heat around that uh happening right now some so, i mean look this is the ugly sausage factory of politics <laughs> nobody actually is incentivized to pass anything yeah and that's the ugliness of it all particularly yeah. in such a hotly contested election yeah. with some very key issues where people are on different sides nobody's really incentivized to do anything here yeah so they will talk about it will they do something in the end i i really don't know but the closer it's getting to the election Less likely it feels. Yeah. They'll talk about it. They'll blame each other. And meanwhile, uh, individuals and businesses will continue to suffer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and look, whoever gets voted in afterwards is going to have to do more stimulus. I can see it in the data. Um, what form that stimulus takes, I don't know. The other thing, key thing is, I don't know if you've all been watching the the news coming out of Europe about the central bank digital coin, the digital euro, right? It is going ahead. They're telling you, flagging, shouting, screaming, it's coming. Why is that coming? We talked about this, the ease of payments and blah, blah, blah. Okay. What is the big problem in Europe? This is my conjecture. So shoot me down. The banks do not work. They're going to get nationalized. I've said this and said this and said this. I think the European banks are going to get nationalized. How do you run a monetary system if you need to nationalize your banks? You need to have a digital currency where everybody has direct access to the central bank. Richard Werner talked a bit about this in the past as well. I think this is coming, and I think it's partly to do with that. It also allows direct fiscal stimulus. It also allows direct taxation. People may not like it, but it is coming. Um, yeah. And the Europeans are screaming and shouting. The Chinese are already doing it. The Swedes are testing it. The Chinese are doing it. It's all coming, whether we like it or not. 
Yeah, digital euro. And also important to add, it allows banks uh, or central banks to further cut interest rates below zero. Correct. Because the and they can do it to different people. Yeah. So they might go, well, you guys with who are restaurant owners, we're going to give you a positive rate of interest. And you guys who are tech companies, we're going to give you negative 10% to get your cash off your balance sheets. That's very interesting. In, intellectually, that's super interesting. Again, people might not like it. This is the way the world is going, which is behavioral economics. Right. Behavioral economics is the big change that people don't yet understand. It is where you can influence certain people and certain groups of society that Silicon Valley showed us. Facebook, all of these guys were kings of it. Daniel yeah. Kahneman led this revolution. Is yeah. This is how government policy is going to come. It's going to be behavioral and it's going to be targeted. And the way you do it is if you had direct pipes because right now in the middle, if I want to give you money and I'm government, I go, banks, here's a load of money. They go, no, 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 I don't like cash. I'm not giving you any money. Mm -hmm. right? I can't stop that. I can mandate them, but it's difficult. But if I give you digital currency direct, yeah, I can add terms and conditions onto it. Ter yep, terms and conditions, AML, KYC, built in from uh, the ground up and the ability to tax the movement of every digital euro, every digital wand, every digital dollar. But maybe let's talk about you and moaning before we got on camera about doing your tax returns, right? It's a miserable process. Yeah. Well, if it was just tax a bloody source on expenditure, it's kind of done here in the Cayman Islands on import duties. Yeah. And there's no other taxes here just on imports and uh, employment contracts for, for, for companies who hire um, non-Caymanians and, and on purchase of a property. That's about it. There's literally none. But you still pay them because import duties, everything you buy has to be imported. But if, if everything was at sourced and you paid 2% on every single transaction and that was it, maybe that's a lot bloody easier way and you can get rid of a million people out of the IRS or 2 million people, or 3 million people, however many people work there. I don't know. There's wholesale change coming. When we talk about the fourth turning, and I've got Neil Howe coming on again soon, this is the kind of fourth turning stuff we're talking about. A complete change in the structure of, of the infrastructure and organizations that run our world. Yeah. And this is where a central bank digital currency means you don't need a bank because you use fintech as the lending layer. Mm. Central bank digital currencies mean you can get rid of all the tax issues and maybe just do it direct in a very simple format that nobody can avoid, evade it. It's also how you can run, without the Federal Reserve, how you could run fiscal stimulus instead of monetary policy. You know, once you open your mind to the great changes we can make, we can change a lot of the bad things of the current system we've got. You might... Be reticent to change and say the government has control. The government has control of your life regardless. They know where you are, who you are, what you do, what you spend, who you talk to, and everything about you. It's no different. Yeah. And we are very much interested in following all of those stories here at Revision. Yeah, look, it's a really, really interesting story. It's a, and again, it's a much bigger story than people really understand what's going on here. But I think this is the rise of behavioral economics and the complete restructuring of how governments work. Yeah. Raoul, on that note, any final thoughts? Well, if that wasn't a big enough thought, I'm sorry. I'm sorry <laughs> to have disappointed you today, Ash. So what else to say, but enjoy your weekend. 
Uh, yeah, enjoy your weekend. Uh, look, uh, please don't fill the comments section with uh, a bunch of, you know, hatred, libertarian, the government's going to ruin my live stuff. I get it. But let's have a nice discussion about this. <laughs> yes, very well said, Rao Pal. Thanks for joining us. Okay, take care, Ash. Have a nice weekend. And a nice weekend to everybody else. Have a nice weekend. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.